And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Pep Guardiola can't help himself but break records with Manchester City, it seems. Saturday's win over Watford brought more admittedly niche accolades to his name. He's now faced Watford nine times in the Premier League and has a 100% winning record. No other Premier League manager has ever faced a team that often and always taken maximum points. That said, he might have blotted his copybook a little with what happened in Germany at Leipzig on Tuesday. Could he have rotated more and used more of the academy for a meaningless tie? Or did he need to give the players more rhythm, in which case the performance and the result can't have helped with that too much, can it? Welcome to Why Always Us. I'm David Mooney. With me is Sam Lee. Hiya, Sam. Hello. And this is your Manchester City podcast from The Athletic. If you sign up to The Athletic right now, you can read all of Sam's stuff on City. And if you sign up, you'll get 33% off the price of a full subscription. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man City pod. Um... Uh, Sam, I, let's mm. let's start with uh, what happened in Leipzig before we pivot over to what I wanted to be the main topic of this week's show. Why? Well, that's the first question I've got, really. Why did he pick the team he did? Yeah, so, I mean, like everybody else, I was expecting some young players to start. I thought CJ Egan Riley, just because you think, well, Carl Walker plays a lot of games. Um, so that that seems an obvious one. You think probably put Cole, Cole Palmer in there somewhere. Other than that, I wasn't too sure how many young players would have started. Uh, I suppose you probably would have put Cole Palmer in where Gundogan was, really. Um, but when you, I mean, when you think about it, and when obviously the team comes out and you see it's very strong, you think, bloody hell, what's all this about? Um, but I think had City won, it wouldn't have been that much of a problem. But because obviously they lost, but I think... It's one of those games where the frustration grew and grew. So obviously, do you remember obviously the Palace game, the Palace defeat? I, I think I can't remember if we made the point or I was making the point elsewhere, but everybody was livid with the ref that day. But apart from like not really clamping down on the time wasting, it wasn't that bad. But because like there were so many frustrations elsewhere, obviously from City's mistakes and the fact they weren't playing very well, it all built and built and built. And by the end, everyone hated the ref and was really pissed off with the game and. Um, I can't was I can't remember who played that day, but I think there was a few scapegoats for it and all that kind of thing because the pressure builds, and I think the more the pressure and the frustration grew last night, the more people got pissed off with the team, and obviously people were kind of surprised early on, and people might have been pissed off initially, but I think by the end of the game, because how the game went, and I'm talking performance i'm talking referee i'm talking the offsides how annoying were the offsides every time they switched the place and he was offside is that how what what are you doing how how can you be offside again like obviously walker's red card sterling i think was lucky not to get var because i would say he definitely left his leg in on the guy's head i did have his name last night when i wrote about it but i've forgotten it now um i thought that was there was just so many frustrating silly things um, and then i think it all kind of focused the pressure then on the initial kind of surprise, which was, oh, what's going on with this team? I wanted to see Palmer. I wanted to see McAtee. But if you actually look at it and you you realise why these things happen, 
it made it did make a lot of sense. As much as I wanted to see the young players as well, I, you know, I would have said, "Well, sod it, let's just start McAtee as well. It doesn't matter." But you know, there's there's more to it than that. My my me. only kind of my my only Charlie difference played. with that is, yeah, yeah. It, it, like the team he named was was quite was incredibly strong for the sort of game it was. Yeah, but on top of that, you've got you've got this position where you you have eleven senior players there who go into this game knowing full well that they've done enough to win the group. They don't really that that the, the mindset early on can quite easily be don't get injured, don't do anything stupid, and do you know what I mean? They, yeah. They're already playing at about eighty percent instead of a hundred percent, and I'd I just wonder if. Yeah, and I just wonder if you drop a few of those players, leave them at home, let them rest, because Guardiola's always talking about how the schedule is, is is ridiculous and players need more rest. So don't take them. Don't even make them do the trip to Germany. And you throw in a couple of the players you mentioned there, like CG Egan Riley, or you know even Cole Palmer to a, uh, to an extent, even though he's had first team experience this season. James McAtee, they've all got something to play for in the sense of, you know, these are first team minutes. They want to impress in the fir- on the first team stage. And suddenly the like City's game is no longer eighty percent. It might not be it might not have the experience that it that it has with a with a full sense with a full strength side. It might not have the ability that it has with a full strength side. But what it does have is it's suddenly playing at hundred percent again instead of, uh, of dipping down to eighty. And I just wonder if that gives Leipzig a better game. And it, it means those frustrations in in the performance and the referee and that sort of stuff, they don't they they don't build as much as they did. Yeah, I mean, de- definitely. Like, there there were ways that City could have gone around around that performance and gone about that performance um, in a different way. And you know, maybe like I say, that extra competition for places and people trying to really make a mark it would have been different to let's say Gundogan not really playing at the top of his game, maybe not being the most motivated he's ever been for a game, but. And I'm not saying this was all some master plan where the most important thing in that game is minutes in the legs because I think Guardiola could still have reasonably expected the team he picked to win the match. He obviously wanted to win the game. But nobody's asked about this match. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, we, like I was Last night, I had an article ready to go on something else completely. And in the end, like it, it, it didn't really work, but it's fine because we can use it another day, either this week or might save it for the Boxing Day. Um, so, but... So it was like, well, what are we going to write from the game? And I was like, I almost don't want to turn it into a talking point because, look, give it Thursday, Friday. No one's going to be bothered. And ultimately, what this is about, I think, and like, I'm not saying it was some great master plan where it's like Guardiola's coming away from it with his reputation enhanced and he's a genius even more than we believe. Because like, the game didn't go to plan, did it? He picked that team thinking we can win here, and, and they didn't. But um, it's, it, it is about the minutes in the legs and like the most important thing will be are those players now ready for Wolves and are they ready for Leeds and yes they are whether that's because some were left at home so the ones who played the most with no rest whatsoever for their club or their country Bernardo Rodri Cancelo to a lesser extent Laporte I'm not sure if Laporte was actually injured I better check that but anyway they were left in Manchester they were the ones that needed the rest and then if you look at the team, so this is this is what I decided to do the article on. Because the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, it's obvious, really. If you look at the team, nobody would complain about seven or eight of them. It just seems obvious why seven or eight of them were picked. Obviously, one of them, Stefan, fine. He needs, you know, he doesn't play that often. Play instead of Edison, keep his minutes up. Yeah, no harm done. Did, did also well, the, to be fair. Yeah, very well. And also the same goes for Ake and Zinchenko. I don't think anybody would complain about that. The same goes for John Stones because he's been out of the team for the last few games. So obviously he needs to get back in and get rhythm. So that's four. 
Same for Fernandinho. Exactly the same for Fernandinho. Um, same for Mares because he doesn't play too much, as much as you know he, he probably could do. And he's always, you know, he's not really played in the Premier League as a rule, but he has played in the Champions League. So that's fine. That's six. We knew De Bruyne was going to play. And again, we can understand that because he's coming back from injury. So, you know, he needs rhythm. Everybody understands that. Okay. And then you think, well, to a lesser extent. So th- so those ones are obvious. You've got seven there that are obvious. The other two, which when you actually think about it, even slightly, are also obvious. Foden, who missed three games, but came back at Watford at the weekend. So, of course, he needs more minutes to get back to up to scratch. And Grealish, who played five, six, seven minutes against Villa, but then at Watford, but he was in this, a similar situation because obviously he would have played for England and then came back injured. But he didn't play in the Manchester Derby either. So he hadn't played with City for longer than Foden. So that's nine that are really, really obvious. And then you've got Walker and Gundogan. And I, as I was writing the article before the press conference, I was like, I looked, I looked at it. I was like, how many games did they missed recently? And they missed Villa last week. I thought, right, it'll be that. So do you know when City had those games at Chelsea, PSG and Liverpool? And I wrote an article beforehand about, you know, how does a big club face these kind of games? You know, there's there's not much time between matches to recover. They're traveling as well. So how do they do all their recovery work? You know, they haven't got the access to the, you know, not just the ice baths, but that hypergenic chamber or whatever it is at City. They've got hyperbaric chambers to sleep in because of the quality of the oxygen and that. But when you're on the road, you haven't got that so much. I was talking about load management there. Uh, and I'd also spoken to Gabriel Jesus, his personal trainer in lockdown, about his routine. And he was talking about load management. So I'm by no means an expert, but I've got a, a fair idea of how it works. But we've all got a fair idea of how it works if you think about it. If you play a match on a on a Saturday, you don't train on the Sunday. The only people that train, I think everybody kind of knows this, is the subs who didn't play and kids on the the verge of the squad and also just kids to kind of come in and it sounds harsh but make up the numbers you know to make sure there's yeah. not just like four or five people at the session and they have a bit of a light session because the other guys if you have a heavy day you need a light day and everything it's all load management it's all periodization you know in the build-up to that run of games that i mentioned you know guardiola would have started a couple of weeks before going okay well you missed this one but then you'll come in on Saturday, or it would have been more. Maybe you miss Saturday. You come in on Wednesday, which would have been the Wickham game, and then Bosch. You play Chelsea. You play PSG. You play Liverpool, uh, and it's all load management. And it's if you have a, a high day, obviously that example of the game on the Saturday and the rest on the Sunday, you need you need a, a low day because it all needs to be managed. It also works the other way around. If you have a low day, if you don't play, you that has a lot of benefits. So Walker and Gundogan missing the Villa game has the benefit of. It reduces the load on them. It reduces their risk of injury. You know, it is a complete rest. So, you know, the muscles are rested and all of that. But also, you do need to get back up to speed. And that would have been last night. And look, yeah. if last night had been a game that City needed to win, or even if City had won, even if it was a dead rubber, but City had won, nobody would really be asked. But because people were hoping to see young players and because they lost anyway with a strong team, it's all, why is he playing? He should have been rested. But this is how they do it. And I've, I've seen a couple of things of Guardiola always says they're killing the players and there's too many games. So I don't want to see him complaining about that now. But that's, no, 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 no. That's, you're, you're making the opposite point to what you're, you're thinking you're making. There are so many games and this is how they manage it. And ultimately, they, they, need, to, they need to have minutes in their legs to make sure they can beat Wolves and Leeds. And that's how they do it. I guess, I guess the other side of it as well is that my issue again with the with the strength of the lineup is it's fine as long as there's no consequences and 
you know, we're, we're hearing today that Foden might be injured again with his yeah. with his ankle problem. You yeah, know, Carl Walker's obviously been stupid and and got himself what could potentially be a three match ban if if UEFA deem it as violent conduct, which I would be surprised if they didn't. There's yeah. so there's there's consequences. I mean, Walker is a, yeah, yeah. Is, I'm not is, saying it was a perfect game. Yeah, but but I mean, like, any means. the fact now that 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 I mean, Walker especially, they lose Carl Walker and you immediately lose. Cancelo on the on the left hand side doing what he's been doing so well this season. Do you, do you see this the, like the structural impact that 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 the knock on effect of that now has? Yeah, um, although so, we're talking so about like, Villa game, Cancelo played right back, Zinchenko left back. Both yeah, really. and look, but, I know you know Villa were, were were good, but obviously they won't be. Well, I mean, have you seen this? You can get Atletico Madrid, Sporting Lisbon, or Inter Milan. Like yeah. Atletico would be horrible. It would be horrible, um, and you would need. Well, I mean, look, they'll find a way. They'll just have they'll just have Zinchenko tuck it in and send Cancelo forward to to be an extra man because Atletico will just dig in. If I'm sure they'll play Atletico because it's the most horrible thing they can have. So. <laughs> but anyway, like, yeah, it's stupid. Like, the, uh, why Walker lost his head to do that? That was fucking idiotic. Like, it was. And I'm not. I'm like saying I'm not saying the whole game was perfect. I'm just saying the eleven made sense. And then just as a as a quick kind of addition to that, you mentioned Foden's injury. Ake went off with a bad back, so that's two subs down anyway. And like, even if Guardiola was thinking, and look, he probably wasn't a 2-0 and 2-1 down. He probably wasn't thinking, I'll bring on James McAtee to turn this around because we know what he's like. You know, he's, yeah. he's going to bring them on when the game's done, isn't he? That's how he works. So he probably wouldn't have anyway. But if he had any hopes of thinking, I'll give James McAtee an extra run because that'll help him see that his future's here with the, the, contracts, um, the contract scenario that he's in, um, he wouldn't have been able to do that or less likely to do that because there were just two injuries. So the way the game went was not a disaster, but in terms of the 90 minutes was a disaster. I don't think there'd be much of a long-term thing. The only long-term thing really should be Walker. But again, like the reason Walker was playing wasn't stupid. It's not like Guardiola took a risk. If Walker had played against Villa last week, I don't think you'd be, you could, you could physically make the same argument because he wouldn't have needed extra minutes and it would have been stupid. But he did need the minutes and it just so turns out they did something mental. And yeah, okay, it might, that'll be the... The, that'll be the only legacy from this game and we'll be remembering it in February. And look, maybe maybe Cancelo's injured at the time and you're in a bit of a, a pickle. And then, you know, it comes back to this. But again, it doesn't come back to Guardiola making a mistake with the lineup. And I mean, this people might think this is me defending Guardiola. It's not really. It's just the circumstances where it went. People might say Guardiola should never have played him. That's wrong. He should have played him. Walker shouldn't have got sent off. Yeah. Look, Foden shouldn't have got injured, but he did. It's not. I don't think that's his fault. Unless he unless he went out there thinking I'm a bit injured here, but I'm not going to say anything because I want to play, which Guardiola actually did say last Friday was a thing he does. You know, he's so kind of wants to play, loves playing football. He'll just he'll just run through brick walls and all that kind of stuff. So it's possible, but that's just it's hypothetical. The other thing is nobody knew he was going to get injured again, and someone just cropped up, and it happens. So yeah. it was a bit of a perfect I- storm of shambles, but yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, well, I uh, I went onto the pitch last night. I played six aside last night, went onto the pitch with a bad back, did all right, and uh, and, and don't feel the effects of it this morning. So it can work well, the other way go. as well. Yeah, exactly. it can work yeah, the other way. Well, it can do, exactly. Like, they don't they don't take stupid risks. And look, as much as Foden wants to play football, you know, if it means, if playing one game means he's not going to play the next four, he's not going to do it. So, like, yeah. it's just, it, it happens. And, like, it was strange that everything happened last night. It all kind of came together. And I get why people are pissed off, but, like, we need to take the sting out of the lineup situation a bit. And even like I say, with the two injuries during the game, it reduces the chances of young lads coming on. And look, I would have, I wanted to see McAtee play. I want, you know, if if I was picking the team, which is pointless argument to say, but like personally, I would have, I would have played him for the whole game. But obviously, you know, I haven't got the responsibility to. Or if I was picking the team, I'd probably have the sports scientist guy saying, 
if you pick him, Gundogan's not going to be ready for Wolves, and I'll be like, oh shit, okay, I better put I better put Gundogan in there. Do you know, what? it's it's that basically. That's yeah. that's what it is. I mean, if there's anything else about the game, we, we can talk about. We talk about Walker not tracking his run, and Zinchenko as well. Talk about Stones giving the ball away. I mean, Zinchenko's didn't matter for the first goal. It was Walker's run that that did it. But if the guy, if Stubbersly had have squared it, you know, that would have been. That would have been Zinchenko's run. You can talk about Stones giving the ball away and that lopsided the whole defence. And even if Andre Silva hadn't have took the shot on himself, he had an option to his right because everybody was dragged across. You know, these li- it's just these little things. And as Guardiola said afterwards, there was a couple of mistakes that were punished. And yeah, there were there were more mistakes than you would hope. And I suppose the fear people are saying is, well, if there's a strong team like that, then, you know, is that worrying for blah, blah, blah? And you, you even said yourself at the start, the fact that they didn't play especially well doesn't really help for rhythm. And I suppose it doesn't help for kind of match winning rhythm and stuff but in terms of the physicality of it in minutes in the legs I think there were benefits from it and then you know the four players we mentioned who were left at home um, as long as Laporte can play at the weekend but they've particularly the, the other yeah. three they've had their rest they'll be they'll be come back in they'll make a huge difference um, and every, like everyone should be should be better for it really another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, that's that dealt with. Uh, let's ignore what happened on Tuesday entirely in Leipzig then. <laughs> and uh, dead rubber, meaningless game, all that. Um, City at top of the table at the end of a round of fixtures for the first time this season. They've dismantled teams in some style already this season. And I keep seeing the suggestion online that this might be Guardiola's best incarnation of City. Um, so, for this podcast, this is what I was excited to do, Sam, before City threw yeah. a spanner in the works. Um, yeah. I thought we'd put all of that to the test. Um, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna ignore the the Guardiola sixteen seventeen side that finished third. Uh, clearly, it's not his best side. It was his first season, and there was a lot of work being done. A season in transition, all that. Um, we're also maybe controversially, I don't know, but I think it's fair. Uh, going to exclude the twenty nineteen twenty side that finished runner up to Liverpool. Uh, we know that they were too inconsistent to mount a title challenge. Uh, so if that That's was the case, yeah, no, no they they can't be Guardiola's best version <laughs> of City because they were too inconsistent. Simple as that. Yeah. So the teams we're going to compare uh, the twenty seventeen eighteen century. The 2018-19 domestic treble winners, uh, the 2021 uh, lockdown uh, league winners, and uh, this season's 21-22 title hopefuls. Um, kind of work out what the what the kind of the best version of City is. And to do that, um, I've kind of I've kind of come up with a few questions to kind of talk about the. It's very easy to look at this and go, well, factually, the. 17-18 side got 100 points, therefore it's the best team. Yeah. But like it's, it, it's, I think that's too simplistic to to, to go in. So like, like a lot of my questions have kind of gone about how you feel about The questions, are good. They, the questions yeah. are good. The questions what, are good. What we look at. So first, the first one, 
which of them was the most fun to watch? I think this is really easy to answer, and I don't, I don't yeah. think it, I, I don't think um, it necessarily lends itself to which is which is Guardiola's best team. But I know which 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 one I think is the best one to watch. So which one do you think is the best one to watch? Yeah, before I give my very short answer to this, I'll just add to what you say. It, like it might it might sound quite funny analysing the stupid defeat and then saying, "Is this one of the best teams?" But <laughs> like the, but that Watford game, I mean, because we haven't done the podcast since then because Monday we were busy and obviously Tuesday we had the build up to the game. So, but that Watford game was a work of art, especially the first half. Like the the plans they were doing, the the um the moves they were putting together, some of the goals they they did score and should have scored were fantastic and there were people afterwards saying this is up there with City's best team and just because they had a stupid game last night in a dead rubber doesn't, doesn't change that for me that. whatsoever yeah. I mean look n- we're not going to come to the conclusion after this podcast that this is the best City team of Guardiola's because they haven't won anything yet but there's a reason enough to have the conversation and maybe at the end of the season we can say that because the way they've been playing the goals they've been scoring um the moves they've been putting together, even when they haven't scored, has been brilliant. The way they've been, they've conceded some stupid goals, but they've been limiting chances very well. Um, they've had some great big game performances. So yeah, last night's performance, irrelevant to this debate. Um, and then to go back to your question, I think we both know, I think everybody knows, I think anyway, 17-18, yeah. the most fun. Yeah. It's well, the I, old but- thing, isn't it? Sane on the left, Sterling on the right, loads of goals, uh, Aguero in the middle, De Bruyne, I don't want to say peak De Bruyne, but it feels like it, doesn't it? You know, if you think, everyone thinks, well, I certainly think, that Stoke game, the 7-2, and all that De Bruyne assist from the right to the left, it, just kind of, it was like a, a shot in bowls where it just kind of curled and slowed down at exactly the right place, and Sane just banged it in at the back post. Like, not yeah. all of that. Um, obviously, just everyone doing their thing. Fernandinho, David Silva, company, Edison coming in, making a huge impact. Um, Walker as well, signed that summer. The whole left back experiment of of Delph, um, whoever was the other centre back, um, it didn't really matter. But um, Otamendi was great that season. Yeah, if that if, Just, that's, if, if that can happen, if Otamendi can be great in that team, <laughs> yeah. it must be a great team. But it was um, great. It was a great. It was a great team. A great eleven. I mean, even if you change some of the parts around, um, it, yeah, it was a great team. Great eleven. Some great victories. The the title was an absolute possession, wasn't it? Hundred points. Like the way it finished was. Perfect, really. It was obviously the fact that they had the Amazon documentary and the way it finished. It was like a movie, wasn't it? It was that, yeah. That was the most fun to watch. Um, I, yes, by far, by far. Yeah. I, I think that's. I think objectively as well, people would agree with that. My only, my only question I have on that is: if you take in the next season, the eighteen nineteen season, yeah, is the only reason that that team wasn't as fun to watch because of the pressure that was on them yeah. about Liverpool. Was, yeah. I put it to you that that team was just as fun to watch, but because of the pressure of how close Liverpool were, it was no longer as fun. Possibly. That's definitely that's definitely possible. But also, so, I mean, if you mean in terms of the emotion of watching the games, thinking this is horrible, which it was, then yeah. But also, City were playing for one nils in a lot of games. We talked about that Aguero goal against Burnley where it sneaked over the line. And then do you remember how they played after that? Like, didn't Guardiola, didn't he bring on stones at the end and they had four centre-backs on and it was just, it, it was like what we see now. You know how they just won't push for a counter-attack really. If they've got something to hold on to when they're playing a counter-attacking team, they're just not going to, they're not going to open up those spaces. They're not going to let it happen. And that, that was kind of when that started to, to creep in really, especially as it was after that Spurs Champions League game. But there were games where City just went, we're just going to turn. Do you remember the Bournemouth game? 
the lesser remembered Bournemouth game at the start of March, and they won one nil. It was Maris came on either at half time or not long after, and he scuffed one in because that was his first season. He wasn't you know tearing up trees, but he scuffed one in and it was the winner. But he didn't allow a single shot on goal on target or off target. They didn't give away a corner. They barely gave away any free kicks. They just I th- killed. I think the game. yeah, I think Bournemouth had about eleven touches in their half. That was it. Yeah, yeah, um, it was unbelievable control. So. I think the pressure of the situation meant that the fans probably didn't enjoy it as much, but also I think Pep set the team up to play a different way. And it was a lot more, a lot more control and a lot more closed up. But also if you think back to 17, 18, obviously it could be fun all the way really, because there was always a massive gap, but the bigger, more fun results were at the start of the season, weren't there? When City, you know, City beat Liverpool 5 nil. Um, they scored six at Watford the week after. And then there was, there was a Stoke game not long after. I think they battered Palace around then as well. Yeah. Um, all the goals were then, and obviously by the end of the season, it, it carried on. In 2018-19, they were obviously excellent as well, but I don't remember there being the same fun element. You know, they were still excellent, but I don't remember there being quite the same fun element at the start of that season. I've been looking back at it a bit now because I'm doing an article on Bernardo Silva, and I'm looking back at some of those games. Uh, like the United game when City won 3-1, again, an excellent display. Um, the Spurs game away when... But you know when the, the Wembley pitch was terrible and it had the NFL logo on it, yeah. like a really hard fought one nil, but a good win. Yeah, there, there weren't loads and loads of fun matches in the same way, and that's like, whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong, and whether we're all right or wrong. I think seventeen eighteen jumps out for particular reasons, or maybe because it was new and exciting, and going into that season, nobody really knew what to expect. Whereas in twenty eighteen nineteen as well, you've also got that pressure of fucking hell, we're really good. Yeah, we shouldn't. Yeah, like we don't want to. We don't want to let this slip. Like we don't want to. No, we won't. People don't. I'm sure people don't really celebrate titles anyway. Because as soon as you go into the summer, you start thinking, "Oh God, what are the what are the transfers do we need?" And then the season starts, and then you think, "Oh God, we need to defend our title and the pressure from that." So, 1718 was a kind of one-off magical thing that developed before our eyes, and then after that, it was, "Oh God, we need to win every game." Yeah. So the next question then is, uh, which was the most consistent side? Because you look at, mm, uh, at the runs question. that were put together. The Centurion side put that. I mean, it's it's still the Premier League record of of, of victories together. Um, the the eighteen nineteen side had to hold off Liverpool for for the end yeah. of the season, where you know you were mentioning they were, they kept winning one nil, or kept winning really tight games. Um, even even the lockdown team, like by yeah. Christmas, we didn't think That's they were going to get question. anywhere near the title. Yeah. And yet and they, they, they what do they win? Twenty five games, twenty four games in a row. Yeah, so I mean so, you can't argue with that. Um, I'm tempted to. It's a bit like what you were saying before. You could you could just say, well, seventeen eighteen team got under points, so that's the end of it. And you could say the lockdown team. Let's call it the lockdown team got um twenty four wins in a row. So you can't argue with that. And to be fair, for consistency, you can't. But I think the circumstances at the end of that eighteen nineteen season and the opponent that Liverpool faced, which they didn't face last season. To be fair, they didn't face. To be fair, they didn't really face it last season because they blew everyone away in that spell. But the way that Liverpool were there and the pressure that was there and the big Champions League games they had, and they got to the FA Cup final as well. And obviously, going back to the end of February, they played the Carabao Cup final as well. So all of that added, added to an accumulation of games. They couldn't afford to drop a point. They didn't. I would still say the most consistent, and that's why I, I would class 17-18 as fun and 18-19 as ruthless and still excellent, um, is because of that run at the end of the season that they had to have. And they had to have it because they had a bit of a blip over Christmas, didn't they? Yeah. Like they lost they lost, they lost, lost at home to Palace, which might 
throw. No, it doesn't. Um, well, does it not? Does Palace, that not throw? And they, lost, and they lost away to Leicester. Spanner in the works of um, consistency. If they, no, if because, they, because oh, well, fuck me, how bad were they at the start of last season? <laughs> if you want to go down that route, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I. You're putting the argument forward. I'm just testing it. That's all. <laughs> yeah, that's all. Yeah, I'm really bad you're at angry. that kind of thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but I, yeah, but I mean, if, if that is going to be the case, you know, you can, you can drop a couple of games in the middle and then find your consistency for the last five months of the season. I think that's absolutely fine, yeah. which is exactly what happened last year. But they were, no, they weren't terrible at the start of last season, were they? Well, bloody hell, it wasn't. It wasn't this, was it? It wasn't what they're doing it's now. A, it wasn't it what they're doing It certainly wasn't fun to watch, yeah. No, exactly. So, I, look, if somebody if somebody said to me last season was way more consistent because this, this, and this, I wouldn't say, you're talking shit, mate, like I just did with you then. <laughs> I would say, yeah, fine, <laughs> fair enough. Um, but I, personally, for me, I think 18-19, just because of how good Liverpool were and the pressure that we've already mentioned and the pressure of not just, oh, I'll need to win every game, but... You remember how terrible it was when Liverpool looked like they were going to drop points and then they'd score at the end, which is obviously what happened on Saturday. But it was just horrible. Like, I remember the Newcastle game in particular um, when they played on the Saturday. I think yeah. that Newcastle game actually may have been before the famous Leicester game on the Monday night. It was because I and remember... it was horrible, yeah, wasn't it? I remember watching that because I, I think, if I remember no, rightly, not, two of Liverpool's <laughs> goals should not have stood. And I remember thinking, Newcastle yeah. have got me. They've got them. We, we, yeah. we, might, we might have the opportunity. And then it was like, nope, you've got to you've got to go and do it against Leicester. And then obviously the Leicester game happens. Um, this so, yeah. is so for that reason, I think eighteen nineteen. Yeah. So this one, um, the obvious answer to this one is obviously eighteen nineteen again because I was going to ask who had the toughest challenges. And obviously, if you know, if, if Liverpool break the record for the team with the most points in second place, you would argue that they are the, the toughest challenges. But what makes me think about this season is. You look at, at how Liverpool are playing. You look at how Chelsea are playing, and you look at the picture at the title at the, at the top of the table for the title race. This team, the one that is that that is currently striving for this title, possibly has the toughest challenges. Yeah, possibly does. Um, like again, we can't know. We can't say for sure how it's going to go. But I mean, right right now, it looks like it. And look, Chelsea might be terrible. Liverpool might. Get injuries again and blow up, and maybe City will. You know, we don't. But that's the point. We don't know what's going to happen. And by the end of the season, if City win the title by ten points, because Liverpool, I don't know. Let's say Liverpool lose a load of games during the African Cup of Nations, and Chelsea just let's let's say for argument's sake, this spell that Chelsea have had where they lost to West Ham, where they've had some patchy performances before that. Let's say that turns into another month's worth of poor form that they'll be well out of it. So we can't say for sure, but it certainly looks like at the moment that this is going to be a great title race where possibly we get to the end of the season and the two that didn't win it out of the three, you can't really criticise. You can just say, well, I mean, look, people will. I had this conversation with Aidan the other day. People will say that Liverpool were too open or Chelsea didn't have enough goals or certainly didn't have a striker. But I think it's feasible that you get to the end of the season. And whoever doesn't win the league, you'd say, well, what more could they have done? A bit yeah, like Liverpool a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah exactly. A bit like Liverpool when they finished point behind City in eighteen nineteen. Like obviously, if they'd have won that game at the Etihad, but even that game was quite close. So yeah, there was nothing they really did wrong. Nobody said they messed up here. They should have done this. They should have done that. It was just wow, what can you do? Let's take take your hats off to the champions and and, and go again. So it could be that, but um, we don't know yet. So yeah, it's eighteen nineteen for everything I just said. Yeah, for, for the time for the time being at least. Yeah. Um. So now the, now the, the other question. I mean, obviously. We're talking of the basically of the title winning sides and this side, um, but it's not all about the Premier League. So it, it's about the the kind of weight of ability across all four competitions. Because for for all the 
all the good things that we said the seventeen eighteen team did. They did lose to Wigan in the FA Cup, and that was that was an upset. They should have they should have done better in 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 the FA Cup that season. Uh, the Champions League, okay, they got drawn at Anfield, and that's that's just a disaster from start yeah. to finish. Well, so. the Champions League adds another element to this whole debate, doesn't it? Yeah, um, because then if you start considering the Champions League, then you have to give it to last to the lockdown boys. Yeah, but then again, you look at the Champions League, and we've talked we've talked endlessly about that eighteen nineteen Champions League yeah. tie with with Spurs, and and how actually in in hindsight the plan wasn't actually that bad. It was just no, on they the should night. have won it that year. Yeah. I, I think about this all the time. They should have won the Champions League that year, or at least God, Liverpool in the final would have been horrific, and you never know how that would have gone. But they they should have got to the final that year for sure. And yeah. it was just unlucky. Really, it wasn't lucky. They weren't shit over the two legs. There was mistakes, obviously, in the Etihad game. But they should have they should have got past them. I think Ajax were very good, but I think they would have got past Ajax. And but yeah, there we go. Um, yeah. So my, my question was basically, you know, who, which which side did the best across all four competitions? Mm. Again, I think it would have to be eighteen nineteen because they won the domestic treble and were unlucky in the Champions League. I don't have enough because of what we've just said and because of kind of everything I've talked about before. I think you have. To, I think that that's a fact, isn't it? If you win the three trophies and. Well, look at the lockdown. They, they yeah, made the, the uh, FA Cup semi-finals. They made yeah, yeah. the uh, Champions League final. They won yeah, the yeah. League Cup. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, that's why it's a good question. Um, well, good questions overall. I, st- I still tempted to go with 18-19 because I know they didn't get far in the Champions League, but it was unbelievable circumstances, wasn't it? Like with the obviously with the VAR goal and everything, and and if like the the Lorente handball and the missing the penalty in the first leg and all of the, and the mistakes at the start of the game, all of that stuff. Um, oh, but you are here, yeah, you, you, yeah. <laughs> Last yeah. season I they mean, played all, they I, played all the games they could have done apart from one in the FA Cup but, final. But I, I I completely get that, and like whenever I whenever I've written about how excellent they were last season. Like it's hard to actually put into words, you know. If they'd have won the Champions League, then it, it speaks for itself. But if you then say, "Oh, they were excellent last season because they won the Premier League and the League Cup," you know, Richard Keyes could turn around and say, well, "Man, Mario Pellegrini did that." Like, do you know, but it's like, how do you th- how do you put across in this climate where if you lose a game, you're shit? That they did brilliantly because they got to the Champions League final. But that is the case. But I find when I'm writing, I have to just say. How can you make that sound as sexy as as it should be? They'd never done that it. They before. played every game apart from the FA Cup final, and we talked about the the look the F the FA Cup semi final was another Sam Lee special of oh, he needed to rest all these <laughs> players. But look, that that was the case again. You know, it was the opposite of last night. The players didn't need to play; they needed to be rested. So they so they were rested, and the ones that did play didn't do the job. Um, that, that's how it goes. Um, so yeah, I, I take the point. Maybe I can't split it actually between eighteen nineteen and, and last season, because the way they got to the Champions League final and the way that you know we were thinking, oh, well, the issue is going to be counter attacks, and Haaland can score a goal out of nothing, and Dortmund are great on the on the break, and PSG obviously with Neymar and Mbappe, yeah, um, the control the, in the, each one the, of those Champions exactly. League ties was, was incredible. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, and then obviously like the final was the final, but. Um, if we're talking the consistency across all competitions, then yeah, it's it's there. It's I, I'm not sure you can pick actually. I haven't, despite what despite what I said earlier. Um, yeah, I, I really don't know. I'm still tempted to go with eighteen nineteen just because it was because they won a bit more. Yeah, they won. A, they yeah they they did they did win it. Um, and also, 
but then I'm but then I'm chucking in the fact that the Champions League almost doesn't count slash is unlucky because they were so good. But then you could apply the same thing to last season. Um yeah, difficult. Do I have to give an answer? No, no, no. It's just it's just to help you kind of work out <laughs> yeah, which one yeah, you, yeah. you think is the is, is the best side. Because then, yeah, well, the, that, it, it makes it difficult when it comes to summing it up. Because the next question that I had was, uh, which which of those city sides was the hardest to stop? See, again, it feels like instinctively seventeen eighteen, but and this is this is they, this is completely open to interpretation because people would just say play your strong team, outgun them, score loads of goals and be fine. But Guardiola would obviously say now in particular. And it would be interesting, this this point came up in an article I wrote a couple of months ago, be interesting to know what he would do if he saw David Silva. Because it seems like there's been a whole shift in that everybody has to control the game now, not just like David Silva and a couple of others. Like Maybe that's an oversimplification that you would laugh at and say that's absolute bollocks. But I think you know what I mean. Like Everybody now, we talked about this, everybody now is a central midfielder. Or Gabriel Jesus is shutting down the wing back. Everyone is making sure City control that game and do not get counterattacked on because that's Guardiola's approach now. And it would be interesting if he had, not, not necessarily Sane, Aguero, Sterling, obviously still got Sterling, but players like them, as dynamic as them, because he even said after, was it the, the Watford game or the Villa game when he was like, look, when we had, it was after the Villa game, talking about Bernardo's goal. He was like, we could do counterattacks when we had Sane and when De Bruyne's top fit and, and Foden's there. But like without them, we have to play a different way. It has to be about control. And he said this word for word. And that's basically the approach, not just to when De Bruyne isn't there or when Foden isn't there, but it's basically every game now. So it would be interesting to know how he would play if he did have those more dynamic players. But I'm tempted to think maybe just because it's what we've got in front of us. But I'm tempted to think he would go for that control and not allowing any spaces on the counter-attacks like we just talked about that Champions League run. And that's how he would play it. So the most dangerous team to play against, you could argue, would be 17-18 because they'd score six goals against you. But I I am tempted to go with not just the lockdown team, but also the current team in terms of you're not going to get chances on the break and City are going to create 2.8 2.8 xg do you know what i mean like whether they score it or not i don't know and that that isn't that is another argument for the 17 18 team because you would say whether it's right or wrong but the eye test or what we like our preconceived ideas you would probably say that sane and aguero and sterling are going to get those goals set up yeah. by de bruyne and, and silver but would they create more spaces on the counter-attack which is what happened in an anfield in the champions league possibly but then City, well, to be fair, City have done very well at Anfield, apart from 1920, which we've obviously discounted from this discussion because they weren't a top City side. So, yeah, um, I, I would go for one of the recent teams. And obviously, we can't say this one at the moment, because just purely because they haven't won anything yet. But I wouldn't want to play this City team at the moment. Yeah. Um, and obviously, but, last season, we can say it because of what they did. I, I, would, I would say, even more so than 18-19, because they were solid as well, 18, oh, 18, 19 seem to be a bit of a blend of the two, don't they? They but had I, the control had of the season, games, which we discussed, and they had the goals. Yeah, but mm. I had I had this season, the one that we're playing now, especially in mind when I wrote this question, because you look at Palace, you look at um, Southampton, they stopped City. They stopped City quite well in the end. And you look at... Oh, yeah, but I mean, everyone stopped City to an extent, whichever team we're talking about. City's unbeaten run came to an end in that horrible defeat against United in March. They lost to Chelsea in the Champions League final. The 18-19 team, they had that game at Spurs where they lost 1-0 and that fucked up the whole second leg. 
um, the 17-18 team we talked we talk about the Liverpool game the United game when City could have won the title that weekend you know we could we could pick out individual games this is why I don't mind having this conversation now after Leipzig last night you can pick out dead rubber games you can pick out stupid games that went wrong in any season it doesn't undermine what they did in 90% of it 95% yeah. That's what I'd say to that. Okay, so so I mean, in terms of uh, of the hardest to stop, then are you minding yeah, for eighteen yeah, yeah. nineteen? Well, all like all of the city teams have been able to be stopped. Like the the great Liverpool teams have been stopped generally by City. You know, every team has been able to to be stopped at some point in the season. Whether whether it's Pep's Barca, you know, they would have lost a game to Almeria at some point. You, you can't you can't write off the rest of it because of that. So I I, I know you're talking specifically about easily to be stopped but um or how difficult it is to stop them or what what so what is it is it how difficult they are to stop or least or team you'd least like to play against well i guess i i guess it's a kind of a of a, an amalgamation of the two there's because a bit of, there's yeah. a bit of a difference though isn't there because there is. the the most difficult to stop is 17 18 i would say but the the hardest to play against would be one of the recent ones because you just won't get the ball well let's go with that then i think that makes sense Let's turn it to the attacking side now, because I just want to—I I want to ask which which of these teams has scored the best quality of goals. Oh. Uh, again, instinctively, and we'll probably pick through this as we go, and I'll probably, I might change my mind, but instinctively, I'm thinking 17-18 again, just for the same kind of fun element. You're thinking that Stoke game again, um, the way they just that tapping goal was fun. Uh, obviously, they've always had screamers as well. I remember De Bruyne was it. I want to say Huddersfield, but I don't think it was Huddersfield because I remember Huddersfield seemed to be a draw at the end of that season, the day they got the trophy. But it was Swansea, it was. It was the day of the PFA Awards. And yeah. we, everyone knew Sal- Salah was going to get it. And it was just a kind of, well, I'm going to bang this in and you know remind you all that I could have won it as well. I'm not opening that debate again because Salah was great, <laughs> to be fair. I'd, like, There's an argument that there should have been two trophies handed out to recognise the brilliance of both players. Let's not. Um, but it was, it, was one of those, it was one of those where... Um, Everyone, everyone in the ground, including the Swansea players, like the, the game didn't restart until people had seen it. The replays on the big screen, like so, they've obviously been those screamers then. But they, they, City always scored the odd screamer, don't they? You know, but even in twenty nineteen twenty, that Bernardo Silva one at Old Trafford in the League Cup, unbelievable goal. Um, Bernardo's goal against Watford at the weekend. Bernardo's goal against Villa last week. Um, yeah. So there's, there, are, there are those fun goals, and I suppose would be here all day if I start thinking, what about this one? What about that one? But maybe. So we don't do that. Well, I'll be honest. I'm going to say 17, 18. But what yeah, do you I'll, I'll be honest. When I wrote this question, I was thinking I wasn't thinking of of the best quality goals, as in oh, company smack one in from range against Leicester. I was oh. thinking I was thinking the build up sort of uh, the patterns yeah, of play yeah. in, the, in the run up to it. Well, well, and, I mean, there's an argument for this team. That's well, the yeah. last month. Um, I, that, that's exactly why I was thinking of it because mm. you, the, the way that city's attack has evolved. When you when you think of like that. that like you said, that classic tapping goal of, of, of 17, 18. There were so many times I remember speaking to you about it and you saying, like, like they'll score it. Just because I say that like, all the time. you can see how you, you can see kind of what the build up is going is happening. They get somebody yeah. to the byline, they yeah. knock it around the defender. There's a pass across the face of goal. Sterling inevitably is there to oh, tap that, it in. That the one the Grealish missed, and I'm not picking on Grealish, but the one the Grealish missed against Watford, where it started with Edison. Went into the last second. I think it was Josh King closing him down. He just went, nope. And he knocked it to Diaz. And then Diaz crossed it, well, passed it across his goal. And I remember thinking at the time, I was like, it's funny, isn't it? How people always used to say, don't play across your goal. And the City have just done it. And it's one of those where you just think, oh my God, if they score now. Because the way they just swept up the pitch, and it was the same with the Bernardo one at Villa. And it was also the same with, 
I can't remember if they'd done it. They played out the back just before the Bernardo one. And yeah, it's just a thing where you go, if they score here, this will be an amazing goal. And they did yeah. it. Yeah, they did that against Watford. So I'm, I'm tempted to put in that build-up because it does, it, look, it's always gone from the back to the front with Pep. But it just seemed to be at the moment, they're in a particular purple patch for that. Yeah. So, But it has changed how it goes from the back to the front, hasn't it? It's like, it's it has evolved. Yeah, it, well, it always does. I mean, they like a couple of seasons ago, I think it was 18-19 at the start of the season, they were like, right, we need, we need to have a good go at the Champions League this year. So they work on, on specific patterns of play in terms of we're going to go, and this this is like, this. I think as far as I know, this was like Champions League specific. And maybe somebody at the club who knows this is listening again, you're talking bollocks. Maybe it's not Champions League specific, but it was definitely like, right, new season, this is what we're going to do. And it was a kind of thing of, Edison goes to the fullback, he goes to, he goes to the, the pivot, he goes to, the winger who's moved up and then it goes back, whatever it is like that, it wouldn't be that pattern, but it was that kind of thing of, we know how we're going to do this. And I, I think again, when I was watching back clips of that Liverpool game where Bernardo Silva played really well, which by the way, Fernandinho was in absolute warrior mode that night, which kind of gets forgotten behind the Bernardo stuff. But there was, I know City don't like playing down the middle against Liverpool because Liverpool, that's where they, they win the ball from you. You know, they, they force mistakes on the edge of your own box and, and they pounce from there, and it was just—it just seemed to be the, the way they had these patterns of play for that particular game. They were—we're not going to give it to Rodri. We're not going to well Fernandinho. Then we're not going to give it to these players quite so much. We're going to keep it wide. Um, and obviously, they did that against Villa last week because Villa were very kind of narrow. So City were like, "We're just going to." And of course, similarly against Watford, if you think about it, against Watford, they had Sterling on the right with Bernardo really close to him and. Walker, so they were kind of a triangle on the right. On the left, they had Gundogan, um, Cancelo play left back, Cancelo and and Foden, and they just kind of kept it wide. And they particularly did that against Villa. So the is they they the patterns do change kind of every game depending on what needs to happen. Um, so yeah, I mean there will be an evolution of how they've gone about it over the years. Um, but I think that's also di- dictated by the fact that the other team kind of know how they're going to play and the way that that. Um, trademark goal dried up in 2019-20. Teams were just like, well, we're just going to... This route that you pass the ball through... We're just going to block gonna it put, off. We're going to put yeah. him there. Where Sterling runs, we're going to put a man on him and another man inside. You're not going to do it. And also, when you play the ball square or back, we're not going to shuffle up the pitch quite as much. It's, it is drilled into footballers to do that, which is how they got the goal against PSG the other week when they switched it to Walker running in behind because PSG pushed up. I think teams, to a, when they sat so deep and they were so penned back by City they just didn't give that space so you couldn't make the running behind for because there was no space to run into and also all the runs and passing routes were blocked so City had to find other ways of doing it and maybe it didn't really happen that season yeah. obviously they've come out since and now, now we've seen with the wingers wide we've been talking about false wingers and the article that I did in the end was uh, maybe a bit of an an anticlimax maybe I couldn't qu- well there was a graphic we still need to put in there but there was a graphic that shows how narrow they were in 1920 in terms of the position of the wingers. And compared to this season, they're so wide. And again, that's a new that's a change, isn't it? The wingers are so wide. They often don't have to find the killer touch themselves. They're creating that space for others. But obviously then if it gets to the final third, then they then they do. And yeah, that that is another example of of how it's changed. And we have seen that uh particularly in the last in the last few weeks really with these, you know, with the wide wingers and Bernardo and Gundogan kind of making breaks into the box and the, the false nine and all that kind of thing. So it has changed. I know it was a bit of a long answer there, but... You still go with 17-18 is the best quality goals? 
Um, yeah, just because that I know, like I know, we have still talked about it for ages, but I don't think there's enough time now to think of. Oh, what about this season? What about that season? I'm yeah. just going to go with the instinctive 17, 18. I'm going to tie it to that notion of of fun and blowing teams away. Yeah. Um, next one is uh, they always say that great teams are, are, are better than the sum of their parts. So I think I think it's mm-hmm. it's fair to say that each of these city sides has been better than the sum of its parts. Uh, which one has been better by the most distance? Oh, that's that's difficult. Um, I mean, do you have any thoughts while I try and collect mine? Um, again. You tie it again to the fun element of seventeen eighteen, I think, because uh, instinctively the the problems that they faced going into that season, they needed new fullbacks, and they got they got three of the four that they wanted, and then they had the whole Delph situation where you know he he was having to be kind of molded into a left back. Um, but though I, I seem to remember each season like that, there was another issue where they they needed to solve this problem, and they didn't really do it. And they kind of came up with a quick fix. I can't remember what it was for eighteen nineteen, but there was something that where um, they 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 had to kind of mould a player into the into a different position or something. I can't remember what it was. Well, um, it was Zinchenko ultimately, but it yeah. didn't get until it wasn't until February that it was Zinchenko because that was when those games I mentioned over Christmas. You know, Dalf got sent off at Leicester, and that was basically the end of it. Yeah, but they played. They they used. Danilo there for a bit and then it became Zinchenko. So yeah, they were kind of getting by again because Mendy got injured in that three one United game that I've mentioned earlier on again and then that was him done for the season. Yeah. But what the the other thing that, that screams out at me for this this one is that the lockdown team barely ever had a striker. Yeah. Exactly. And um I mean you could make this similar kind of point about a left back as well. If going into that season, everyone to be fair, this this is a proper you might not be able to prove it. But I always said Zinchenko was the best of the left-back options of Angelino and Mendy, which now seems like fucking obvious. But at the time, it was like, well, they're going to sell Zinchenko and get a new left-back in. It didn't happen. Um, Zinchenko was kind of undervalued, maybe by the team, by the fan base. But obviously, he's shown his value again. But I didn't I didn't particularly like Cancelo at left-back at the start of last season. And in fairness, it's not the same. In, well, okay, in fairness to him, he was very creative and in a team that only really had De Bruyne and Mares and Cancelo creating, he was he was doing quite a lot. Uh, but also, in fairness to me, he's not the same Cancelo left back as he is now, which yeah. is another animal altogether. So last season they hadn't addressed the striker thing and they hadn't addressed the left back thing either. But they got through it. Um, and again, this season you could say exactly the same. But well, let, Cancelo is even better. And this, like, there's the argument that we've kind of first broached with Nadam after that Chelsea game of are they better without a striker? Yeah. Well, let's let's roll into that the final question for for helping us decide this because the the final question was simply which which of these sides overcame the biggest issues, which I guess is kind of the same thing, isn't it? In that case, mm. yeah. But then I'm tempted to say seventeen eighteen because it was completely new, and they were planning to have four fullbacks. You know. It was, um, you could have added. So who do, who do they want at left back? Mendy obviously, and Bertrand, and Danny Alves and Walker. So they wanted that, and then obviously Alves didn't happen. They didn't have enough money to get four, so they got Danilo, who could do both in theory. But I don't think they ever would need him to, and ultimately they didn't really want him to. Um, and I think that was completely new, and that was how are we going to do this? And obviously, look, Pep's had experience of bringing the fullbacks inside, and it's something he did in the first season. You know, I remember Zabaleta going in there as well. I can't remember Clichy too much, but. 
it probably happened. Yeah, Fernandinho did it as well. Fernandinho yeah. played right back against Monaco, didn't he? And I, won- I can't remember now, but I wonder in that mad game if he came inside because that would make sense. In this, in the same way, he gets people to, to go into their positions that they like, despite the fact that they're starting from a position that they never play. Um, but anyway, so that he, he did have experience of it, but no idea how it would work. And obviously, the pressure was on. You know, they didn't have a great first season, and there was the whole, you know, is this ever going to work? Blah blah blah. Yeah. Again, um, so to overcome back. that problem, yeah. The thing is, they've been overcoming the same problems for years. But the first time it happened, it would have been a bigger challenge. And not just Dalf at left back, because the first one was the Chelsea game. But also, if you remember, obviously that, that was a Chelsea game where De Bruyne had scored the goal with his left foot from outside the box. And it seemed like everything took off and they got the belief that they could go to these grounds and play that way and win because yeah. you know that was Which, the that was the champions at that point. That, but also, that, they were missing the, Aguero. Then. Yeah, that was the, that was the first game after Aguero's car crash, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So they were missing Aguero. Guardiola was fucking livid. Jesus, I mean, you could tell in the press conference, but like behind the scenes as well. Um, and it just it just seemed like what's going on here. And I remember there was one. I've made this point before, but there was one point in like the first 20 minutes when we were trying to work out what was going on with Delph and he was miles out of position and he just he was probably trying to work it out he was like where's he supposed to be but after that one time that it seemed to happen it like basically never happened again he knew where he needed to be where he needed to be inside and when he needed to be outside um, and it just worked so well and obviously it worked so well throughout the season um, so oh yeah I think okay so overcoming the lack of a striker is similar but I think the team is kind of so solid and is so set in their ways of how they should play under Guardiola that it's not too much of a problem. Well, let, let me put um, it this way. Whereas at the time, it was, we need to build this whole thing here. Yeah. How are we me... going to do it without without a left-back? And also, not just without a left-back, but if you remember how good Mendy was in terms of and how, the kind of thing they wanted. They wanted people to get outside and attack and put crosses in and be physical and fast and, and do that. And all of a sudden, they went, oh, okay, we can't do that. We're just going to bring him inside. So I, I would say that. Yeah, well, I was going to say, let me put it this way, because um, there was a spell in, okay, his second season didn't go particularly well, uh, but uh, for a spell in his second season, Manuel Pellegrini overcame the lack of a striker. Okay. Um, and I, it, it just it just makes me think that maybe maybe we have this idea that, that playing without a striker is, is you know, it, it was a great achievement for City last season because they, they played all the games but one, you know, mainly without a striker. But actually... Most teams, if you say you've got no striker, it's a, it's a it's a problem you could get over. But if you've got no left back, that's a different situation. Yeah, it's yeah. I think that's a, it's 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 the same thing as I don't know. I said this. We've said this before, but I said this to our Villa correspondent the other day when Zinchenko was playing well at Villa. I was like, I don't know which team Zinchenko would end up at because I don't know how who he could play left back for. Um, but he's perfect for City, and it's the same kind of thing. Most teams, if they didn't have a left back, it would just be. To be fair, like City have done at times, just put the left left footed centre back out there, and you know try and do it that way. But I, I think the way that City made it, not just we're scraping by, but we're a better team and it gives us more solidity. I think the way that Guardiola's decided that, oh, it gives us this and it gives us that. Um, I, 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 yeah, I would I would go with that being a harder thing to overcome as a as a kind of off the top of my head statement which may not necessarily be true and also yeah i'm going to go back to the first time it was an issue which was 1780 the in terms of the sum of the parts as well it's like the parts are the, this is the thing that people can't get their head around and this is why people think it's money because the parts are fantastic and people think if you put them together then this is that this you know you're going to get trophies you're going to get wins but it's just ridiculous isn't it like to play like this the patterns we've been talking about that is coaching that is a culture at a club 
Um, and you don't just get that by spending loads of money. But yeah, it, it's and that's why it's kind of difficult to to pick between you know a team four years ago and a team now because the parts are fantastic and the teams we're talking about. If we take out the first one and nineteen twenty, they're all fantastic as well. So the sum of, the sum of the parts has always been incredible. So it's just kind of picking the kind of subtle differences. And yeah, it may be a good way to break that down is how they cope best. With, uh, with the, the biggest issues, got, basically. yeah, yeah. Um, so, having discussed all of that, Sam, uh, to finish off the show, uh, which wh- what is the best version of Guardiola's City? Do you think is it? Do we go back to that that seventeen eighteen Centurions? Do we go back to the eighteen nineteen uh, domestic Treblers? Do we go back to uh, the twenty twenty one lockdowners? What, uh, what what do you think? Because I'm assuming thought... I'm assuming we're going to rule out this season because it's still middle yeah, of the season. It's too early. Yeah. But I mean, we could have this conversation in June, and you know, especially you know, if they just won the Champions League, then we're going to put them straight into the top. But even if they haven't, there's an argument that it could happen. Um, I've I've always thought, and these are why these questions are so good because there's so many things that make you think, oh, actually, last season was was even more special. But I've always gone with eighteen nineteen, um, and maybe I do need to update that thinking because last season, the third title. They were a, a very special team in a load of different ways. And also, we haven't really mentioned that the difficulties of the lockdown. You know, we talked about the problems. It sounds very dramatic when you say it like this, but like the problems in the dressing room in terms of it wasn't ideal, was it? Yeah. Like they, they, there was a lot of people who weren't entirely happy. Um, you know, they weren't allowed to see each other too much away from the pitch because of lockdown restrictions. So kind of the team bonding didn't, didn't, um, didn't really happen so that's another tick in their column i've always really gone with 1819 and instinctively when we knew we were having this conversation i thought 1819 um i think i'm going to stick with that but if we had a uh, arguably i should have thought about this more and i had a a more reasoned conclusion but i I do think if if i was to have this conversation with somebody else over a, a drink after a game we might end up at a different conclusion and we might go with last season but I do think, and maybe it's just because the fans were there and because it was, you know, Brighton on the last game of the season and the release of that and all those ups and downs compared to last season where it was very sterile. Um, I'm I'm going to go with eighteen nineteen. Yeah, so uh, the thing is, I can't criticize you for any of the choices you make because they're all they're all great teams. It's just you know the, yeah, the conversation exactly. that's which, why it's a good yeah, discussion is uh, is which of these has been the best of Guardiola City, and um, I, I honestly. I, I don't know if I agree with you. And the reason is, is because I just can't settle on one just yet. Um, I, or yeah. Everything we've just talked about, 17, 18, I still think of as the most fun I've ever had going to, going to football. Um, but just the, the challenges that that 18, 19 team overcame and the, the, you know, holding off that Liverpool side and, and winning three of the four trophies available to them. That, you know, that was an incredible experience as well. So it's, it's just, it's, yeah. it's so hard to pick. So um, I'm glad that you're the one that had to make the answer and not me. There we go. Oh, I mean, you could have, <laughs> but yeah. Um, it was, yeah. It was ultimately good content. Good content indeed. Um, what we're here for. Unfortunately, though, that does bring us to the end of this episode of Why Always Us. So uh, thanks as ever to Sam Lee. Yeah, thank you very much. And fortunately, though, because we're bringing this out later in the week, you've got less time to wait for the next one. Excellent. Yeah, never thought of it like that, but it's uh, yeah. it's, it's absolutely spot on. Uh, don't forget, you can sign up to The Athletic right now with a 33% discount. Just use the code MANCITYPOD. The Athletic. <laughs>